Okay, everybody listening. We've got some exciting news. Exciting. So you might be a long-time listener. Maybe you've been listening to us since the beginning. Or maybe today is the first time you are listening to Techish. Well, whoever you are, this message is for you. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurial, enterprising, problem-solving, Hustlers. creative. Exactly. Ideas people. And as a thank you for listening to Techish, and also as a way to give back to our community, we are setting up the Techish Fund, which is a giveaway of money to go towards whatever it is you need at this point in your life. This giveaway is open internationally and it's open to anyone who listens to our podcast. We'll be giving away 1500 US dollars to one of our listeners and this is all you have to do to enter the giveaway. A few simple steps, four simple steps. One, you got to be a follower of the podcast because the giveaway is only open to our followers. Follow the podcast wherever you listen to it if you're not already following us. So that could be Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Secondly, you got to leave us a five-star review and this does have to be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Third, leave us a comment on the review section of Apple Podcasts telling us what you like about the podcast because we love to hear them. We love to read them. And finally, step four, email us with the subject line Techish Giveaway at techishpod at gmail.com. And make sure you include a screenshot showing that you're following the podcast and a screenshot of the comments you've left on Apple Podcasts. So it's that simple. The giveaway will be open for a month from today. So it's going to close on the 7th of May. We're going to select a winner randomly and we'll contact you directly after the podcast. So yeah, hope it goes well. Hope you guys enjoy it. And who knows, maybe we'll increase the fund in future. Terms and conditions will be in the show notes as well. Please check the terms and conditions. Yo everyone, welcome back to brand new Techish in the building. We're back again for your favorite podcast, your favorite tech and pop culture podcast. It's me, Michael Bahane, and I am with Abadesi. How's it Abadesi. going? Abadesi in the house. Yeah, man. You know what? I, t- I took a lot of pills this morning, including one giant poison pill. You know what I'm saying? Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to thrash out these stories. <laughs> Had you had that phrase, a poison pill before this week? Ever. Yeah, there's a lot of lingo out here that I just got no Scooby Doo about in terms of like MA. So basically, if you've got no clue what the Twitter board in an effort to kind of thwart Elon's takeover attempt has done what is known as a poison pill, which is mm. basically offering more shares to existing shareholders to dilute a uh, stake in the company, making it much harder for him to acquire the company. So I think the, the Twitter board basically is kind of sympathetic with you, Abadesi, in the sense that they really don't want to sell this company to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> People are finally coming around to what I have been seeing for years. Is, but okay they should have just been listening to Tekish. i could have told them this well, what do you think the reason is why they don't want to sell to this guy do you think it's an ideological listen we don't have the same vision as this guy or is it we just want to maintain our position in the company or some people feel like that his offer undervalues the company that twitter will be worth much more you know i've heard someone say like if i offered you 50k for all your bitcoin for example you probably wouldn't accept it because <laughs> most people would believe that Bitcoin will go to like 100k or a million dollars, you know, whatever. So is it because they believe it's undervalued? Is it because they just don't agree with it? Is it because of who it is? Like, what would be your best guess like as to why? I feel like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a number of things. I think the fact that, first of all, the person that wants to acquire the majority stake calls out the fact that they see Twitter as like the public square. Right. right. Twitter is the public square. It's the place where we, the town crier comes to announce the latest news. It's a place where, you know, a global community come together 
to interact, to learn about each other. The fact that someone kind of like calls that out is like, wow, Twitter has a lot of value as this like communal public space online. Right. I must control it. Like that mm-hmm. to me is a bit of a red flag, <laughs> right? So yeah. I think they kind of like see the agenda a little bit there. And let's face it, like it's not the first time that Elon Musk has shown that he's a power user of Twitter and he has used Twitter to influence capital markets, to influence the price of crypto, to influence the value of his own companies. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think they're starting to realize it's not a good move for Twitter to be owned by someone that sees it as a you know extension of their own platform to then right. do what they want with that. So I think that's like the first thing. And then I think like the second thing is they probably just feared like the backlash that would come with Elon mm-hmm. Musk, who is, you know, a problematic character taking over the platform. It's really interesting, actually, because usually the internet, including you listeners, because I know you're a part of this, are always sticking your noses up, Elon Musk bum bum. Like, I just feel like uh. y'all are brown nosing him <laughs> to the nth shots degree. Shots fired, shots fired. Okay, you shoot, you shoot, fight. But you are, right, you cool. are. All you people are like, oh my God, like he's taking us to space. Oh my God, he's like so cool. Just like a tall white man syndrome has hit all of you <laughs> and everyone's in love with him. But it's like something happened over the last few days where finally those of us who are just like, hang on a minute, he's not that amazing. We were able to get just enough airtime to influence your minds. And now all of the folks out there who are just like, Elon's unstoppable, Elon's mm-hmm. amazing, are suddenly going, actually, hang on a minute, this guy, what's this guy up to? So I yeah. think there's a little bit of that as well. Like the backlash is finally gaining some critical mass to which I am, of course, extremely grateful. <laughs> what do you think? I think um, on that last point, I definitely agree in the sense that there's definitely been a growing backlash. I mean, I think the anti kind of like billionaire rhetoric over the last kind of few years has, has engulfed Elon as well. And I think his diehard supporters are pretty much those who would probably say they're kind of like, you know, the tech right people like the Mark Andreessen's, the other kind of super successful tech billionaires who, and millionaires in Silicon Valley who would look upon Elon as their god. I don't think our audience is particularly in that demographic. I think our audience probably is, you know, you've got to have a nuanced perspective of people. Like you can't say Elon Musk good or bad. Like I think it's a bit childish. Mm, it's going to be can. like, no. Nah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, sorry, listen, but he runs I'm a company be, that calls black employees the N-word. I think right, I know where yeah, I sit on that. Yeah, that's definitely a new data point, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? But I would say that, obviously, the electric cars, that's going to revolutionize, you know, the energy industry. Good. Not paying taxes. <laughs> trash. He didn't invent electric working. cars. He definitely didn't invent them, but he's definitely <laughs> been, like, one of the most preeminent people to push it forward. He actually has given away patents to make sure that it's, you know, the industry has you know, he's encouraged the industry to do that, right? I think that's a good thing. Does that mean that he's a great person? No. Does that mean that he's, I agree with everything he does? No. Does that mean that- Does it mean he should know, own Twitter? Does that mean he should own Twitter? Hell no, right? You know what I'm saying? Do I co-sign a racist work environment? Hell to the no. So <laughs> yeah, I think him owning Twitter, I think part of the reason why the board is pushing back also is because listen, they got a comfy position, you know, like they are on the board of one of the most influential companies in the world. You're paid millions of dollars a year to do that. Parag obviously now has been made the CEO. If this happens, he's definitely not going to be the CEO. Jack Dorsey probably would have no longer have any kind influence over his own baby so there's a reason why they're obviously gonna want to push back i think also from elon's perspective one interesting reason and i think this is where he is so sly and so clever at the same time his net worth is very concentrated in tesla and if you look at like tesla's actual car sales it's not that high bruv just what i'm saying compared to like, mm, other car companies true, right true, so true. how do you kind of diversify your wealth yeah. basically you wrap it around this whole kind of free speech palaver. Oh yeah, you know, I've got to <laughs> say free speech. Let me sell $40 billion of shares from Tesla mm. and put it into Twitter. And at the same time, have my cheerleaders celebrate me doing that. 
as opposed to normally when a CEO or a founder sells a giant stake of their company, the stock tanks, because everyone's like, well, you obviously don't believe in mm. Tesla anymore, right? Or whatever you're building. I so I think you. it's a very clever way to diversify and get into another company, which is pretty much kind of undervalued to as a stock has been sideways for the last like 10 years, basically it hasn't really grown compared to the other social media platforms and compared to its influence, it could be and should be higher really in terms of its stock value. Yeah. So he's probably thinking there's a lot of value here I can unlock. Let me get out of my concentrated probably overrated, overhyped position and mm. do it in a way where my cheerleaders will actually support me and not actually think, oh, I've betrayed them because I've sold a stock that everyone has gone ahead and bought because they love me in a kind of cultish way. Yeah. So cliche, obviously, it's chestnut checkers. I don't think it's going to work anyway. I think no. he's not going to be able to buy it. So this is kind of all relatively all hypothetical, but I think it's an interesting kind of case study in terms of just giant egos and you know, what the future may hold in terms of these platforms and how valuable they are to kind of controlling public discourse. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, it's, it's important, you know what I'm saying? Who owns Twitter? It is. And I remember like, you know, we talked about Chamath, social capital. Yes, yeah, social yeah. capital. And like a few years ago, he was saying that, you know, when he was early Facebook and seeing, you know, the way that Mark Zuckerberg was changing the world. Mm -hmm. And he reflected on like other rich white men who use their power and influence to shape society to their wills. He was like, why can't that be me? Why can't I Mm -hmm. be another extremely rich person that uses my money to turn the world into the kind of place I want it to be? And that always really sticks with me and really like resonates with me. And I feel like, you know, that's exactly what Elon's trying to do. He's got an agenda. He's got, you know, a finite amount of time in which to make it happen. And like you said, this is how billionaires play chess. Yep, yep, yep. Let's watch the space then. So speaking of social, on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's a brand new app called Be Real. I don't know if you had a chance to check out Be Real. Be Real. I got invited to the beta of that months okay. ago. That, that was, that, it was too in my face, bruv. That was a little <laughs> bit... Because, you know, you have to like take a photo at like a set time, wherever you are. At least yeah. that's how the beta was. One of my VC yeah. friends invited me to that. And I remember, you know, when you're just like playing around with the app, like just playing, playing, playing. And then suddenly it like took a photo of me, like in my pajamas, in my kitchen or whatever. And it was like <laughs> about to go on my feed. And I was like, well, what? No, this is too much. Yeah. So how it works <laughs> is you get like an alert or a notification and then within a two minute time window, you've got to kind of take a picture and it will take it off your front camera and your back camera. And you can't really edit the picture. If you edit the picture, it'll be, it'll notify your followers and friends that this picture is not necessarily an organic or quote unquote real moment. And it's a way to kind of incentivize people to share real moments. And the antithesis of that obviously is Instagram where people will take a thousand pictures on a given night and then upload the best one with the best filter, with the best whatever, whatever. Yeah, right. Even with a face tune out. So the theory is that Gen Z is going to love it. Gen Z wants that kind of real imperfect social media. I don't know. I think maybe this is also my own insecurity. (laughs) Like I wouldn't want to have just much of authenticity do you think kids do you think gen z will do this is where we kind I'm of say, i'm saying nah i'm saying you don't think so look at tiktok i mean don't get me yeah. wrong like people do like you know the real look on tiktok like the behind the scenes no makeup in my tracky bums look on tiktok but everyone's still very much curating an identity online like social media will always be a performative space because yeah. you know even society isn't really achieving true authenticity just in day-to-day interactions and then social right. media has been designed in a way that can encourage us to you know fake authenticity or at least be like a hyper real or even completely augmented version of ourselves. So as you know, like, I feel like this is just a marketing angle for this app. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure the intention is to capture the ephemeral true moments of social media, but we've been in the social media game for such a long time that it's a world where we cultivate reality. We curate reality. And I don't see that changing. Like if you want real spontaneous life, go out and live it. 
You know what I mean? You know like, don't, don't, like yeah. how, how is an app going to do that? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm a bit jaded now when apps go like, there's, here's a technological way to be more in real life. It's like, no, yeah, the way you're in more real in real life is to be <laughs> in real life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what? I think I kind of agree. I think the bullish case for this app is that there was a, a point in time a few years ago where Instagram looked at like its daily active users and saw people were less likely to post. And part of the reason why they were less likely to post is because there was too much pressure to basically portray a kind of fake lifestyle and a perfect lifestyle. And that's why they stole Instagram stories from Snap because stories was a feature of people were posting much more frequently because there was less pressure for it to look perfect. You can be in the club, just throw the camera up in the air, whatever, whatever, just do whatever you want to do. And obviously I think there is still a pressure on stories to kind of have a kind of perfect story, but it's still in the direction of more authentic, more actually what's going on versus that one picture with the perfect sunset and me, you know, next to the the Jesus statue in Brazil kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So it's like, I can understand the thesis that we're moving in that direction of more authenticity to a certain extent. And that Gen Z might prefer that as a kind of anti to what's going on now but i don't know if this happens if this feature set is the way forward i can't predict that right i don't have to look at the numbers and the thing is we're looking at this with no access to any of the numbers maybe <laughs> the investors are seeing like daily active users through the roof and this is, and people are addicted like you, you can't tell in it so famous last words this might be the next bit how, <laughs> like, <laughs> how do social media platforms survive right? Like how do right. they survive? They survive when they have network effects, right? When people yeah. are like returning to the app regularly, and the engagement is really high when they're sharing, when they're bringing yeah. their community onto that existing community. And then the next thing is advertising, right? Like at Eventually, the end of the day, yeah. it's either like the data from the users or brands who mm-hmm. want to capture the attention of the users that are going to make that platform survive. And here's the thing about platforms coming out and being like, oh, we're like anti-social media, we're anti-social media. Okay, you might be that now as like a hook to mm-hmm. get the headlines on you, but you are still a social media platform. Like you're still kind yeah. of fundamentally relying on the standard dynamics of like engagement, attention economy, brands investing in you for advertising, etc. So yeah. what I think is really interesting is like, how are you then going to stop yourselves from eventually falling into the same traps that every social media platform has had to deal with? There's an ecosystem around social media now, right? Like how long did it take for there to be apps like Buffer, Later.com, etc. that mm-hmm. now let you schedule your Instagram stories, right? The thing that right. was supposed to be like ephemeral and, you know, delightful now becomes just another thing that goes into someone's content calendar and Mm -hmm. has a scheduled post for it. And I just feel like no social media app is immune to that because like indie hackers all around the world are looking for ways to make your app as convenient as possible to people that like power use social media or get real value from it you know yeah you know what the epitome of fakeness is like the day in the life vlogger i don't know if you ever go on tiktok and just watch them like and you'll be like just woken up and it's like you obviously woke up before this yeah exactly. set the camera up went back into bed yeah fixed your hair up yeah. did a little makeup natural makeup or whatever and then got it's out of so bed true. and you're like oh just it's so fake but i'll yeah. be honest with you i watched like them it. and they're quite, no but they're quite engrossing though that's the thing you're like oh yeah i can do that i can make my bed and just like be this productive like 6 a.m like but it's like i know this is fake bro just what i'm saying like but but, we want to so believe that, the lies we want to believe the lies yeah so yeah, maybe people don't want real maybe people want something that looks like it's real but it's completely fake. i mean i just took a quick <laughs> glance at what are supposedly you know spontaneous be real selfies and whatnots and i'm just like peeps know that time is about to go off because they're looking good they got their poses right they got their <laughs> angles right <laughs> take 100 in it basically <laughs> <laughs> Right, cool. So I think the air is slowly moving out of the NFT market and we might be Uh-oh. in for a whole heap of pain. So if you recollect Jack Dorsey's first ever tweet was minted as an NFT and I think it went for $2.9 million. 
uh, mm. an Iranian-born crypto entrepreneur purchased that for 2.9 back in March 2021. Last Thursday, he announced he wanted to sell it. And basically, the, the opening bid was $280. And I don't think it went higher than like $15,000. So no. you're looking at, I swear to you, so you're looking at a dip from $3 million to $15,000. Ouch. Um, you better hold on to start- that, boy. <laughs> Are people starting to wake up and realize that, yo, like maybe this shit don't mean nothing and it is just a bunch of JPEGs? Like, what? Like, got done. We got done, yeah. mate. Because I think he was trying to sell it for 48 million. I don't know what he was thinking. Do you know what happened? Lockdown ended. Yeah, <laughs> and the true value. Yeah. The true value of that stuff. No. Do you know what? Let me not be churlish. Like, I still feel like the creator economy, like there are people out there like who are minting songs, minting artwork. There are people who are extremely talented, who, you know, had a tough time during the pandemic, as many of us did. But, you know, finally NFTs came along and it was just like, woohoo, like struggling artists becomes profitable artists. This is amazing. This is really exciting. And I think, you know, there's like some value in those transactions. But yeah, unfortunately, there was also like a lot of hype, a lot of inflation. And well... This is what happens when you're, you know, moving in risky asset classes and when you're trying to be an early adopter. Like the African in me, the immigrant in me, I ain't early adopting shit when it comes to personal finance. Like I am so risk averse. The years it even (laughs) took me to just get stocks and shares because I was like, I do not trust it. I do not trust the banks. (laughs) You wanted bonds. That's what you wanted. That returned 0.1% Yo, man, I was there for the first, you know, 08 credit crunch recession. I like, I'm I'm so risk averse. But yeah, you know, we have to look at the evidence. We have to look at the evidence and we see nothing but crashing prices. And it's scary. Some people out there, that's probably like the most of their investments are in NFTs because that's how they got started in the game. And this is the distorting effects of social media. Unfortunately, there were far more TikToks circulating about NFTs than there were about index funds, (laughs) tracker funds. But yeah, it's scary. Hopefully people didn't risk any capital they can't afford to lose. Yeah, I'm sure this this person who did it probably has got a whole bunch of crypto and is worth 100 million. So there's probably no skin <laughs> off his nose. But I think this whole thing was predicated on the greater fall theory, wasn't it? That, you know, I'm going to buy an asset in the hopes that one day some greater fall will come in and purchase it. There's no cash flow. There's no kind of intrinsic value. And yeah, I think that's what we're seeing here. I think we've run out of falls, especially in, you know, like you said, the pandemic is over. Inflation yeah. is here. The war in Ukraine everyone's like, yo, I need some real shit to own. I don't need the JPEG. Right now, I need cash flow and producing assets that are going to improve mm-hmm. my life and not something like this. People buying and gold like again. Said, <laughs> people buying gold, yeah. Although, to be fair, gold is also an example of like the greater fall theory. What can you do with gold apart from making it to jewelry, right? Anyways, that's a whole other tangent in terms of like the different kind of assets that you can buy. But I agree with you. NFTs as a technology, I think it's here to stay. I think I've seen some interesting stuff, especially in music about, you know, I think yeah. Nas released an album or a single on an NFT and it gave you like royalty rights, when we start talking where there's actual shit that comes along with it, then I'm fucking with it. But anything beyond that, you can miss me, man. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not there for it. I don't, care. I don't care how nice your picture is. I'm not paying a hundred racks for, for what you've done for a nice JPEG. No way. Also, I'm like, can I just say, fall. like, it was just getting so crazy out there. Like, I mean, there were times where, like, mining fees, like, just to actually do a transaction fees, on OpenSea yeah. or whatever, were, like, hundreds of dollars. I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, this yeah. is supposed to be all about, like, the next wave of, you know, personal finance, financial inclusion. Look how interested young people are in investing. Wow, we're revolutionizing capital as we know it this is amazing i mean like what is the gap between those stories and the actual reality because i was like every time Mm. i was even just trying to shop around in that space i felt excluded because i was like damn that's so expensive like the price of just actually trying to transact right now because of how much activity is happening so like i couldn't even like get the crypto that i needed to buy it or exchange the crypto that i needed to buy it because of mining fees being so high and i was just like 
who's making money here? Because yeah, I, I feel I'm, like I'm, I'm losing. I'm not like the greatest expert when it comes to crypto, but people that I speak to that I respect in the space are always telling me like, oh, you know, there's these apparent Ethereum killers. And these are basically blockchains that can act like Ethereum, but they don't have as many gas fees like Solana, like Cardano, mm. whatever. So we'll see in the near term whether Ethereum is the place to be because I don't see how it can be if it costs $300 to buy something. Like, right? that don't make no sense, B. Like, just talk to me like a child. That don't make no sense. Let's switch it to a little pop culture story. Still kind of social media related. Look how quick your life can be ruined because one fool wants to kind of just say something. So basically, obviously, we've all been admiring Rihanna's pregnancy and, you know, just happy for her and ASAP doing their thing. Mm. All of a sudden, one vlogger, blogger, gossip spreader basically said, I heard ASAP Rocky had an affair. And I heard it's with one of Rihanna's designers at her Fenty Beauty. The entire Rihanna fan base went berserk and it was trending and everyone was abusing. I don't say everyone, but like there was a significant amount of abuse directed at this Fenty Beauty designer who pretty much was innocent. This whole thing was made up. No. Yeah, this whole thing was made up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously people, the story is very triggering, isn't it? Pregnant woman gets cheated on. Pregnant woman is Rihanna, you know, and like that's obviously a big effing deal from a pop culture perspective, right? The story was complete lies. Rihanna and, and ASAP came out denied it. Now, can you imagine just being that designer, minding your business, you're waking up one morning, yeah, that's at your scary. Phone, and you're just like, yo, like, what? This is not even remotely true. And what do we do about that? Where people are just willing to pile on and just destroy someone and just harass them at this point. Like, thankfully, this person seemed to be okay. They didn't, you know, have any adverse reactions. But if someone was to have an adverse reaction mental health wise, can't blame them. It's like, that's likely to happen. You know what I'm saying? What kind of sick world are we living in? I don't know. I mean, I think that there's so many layers to it. Like, I think that we're not being equipped with the tools to practice critical thinking. I think some of us, you know, maybe like who had privileged educations are, but even then they're not, there's no guarantees that just because you learn how to do it, you're going to do it. So I think the first thing is that we're not really being encouraged to look for the facts, look for evidence. We're just being encouraged to like opine regardless of the evidence we have available. Like we're literally just being told like, does this make you angry? Tell me how it makes you angry. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, there's also the design of the platforms that really encourages us to do that because like, you know, when people are like being salty, they're getting engagement, like likes, retweets, you know, quote tweets. So I think it's, you know, it's human nature. It's like the worst of human nature, unfortunately, being extrapolated <laughs> in a mass scale. Yeah. That's what a lot of the social media platforms do. You know, we are part of the problem. It's not a problem that's happening in isolation. Like there's like some other group of people who are out there mm-hmm. always being negative on social media, always complaining, giving attention to things that are like negative and salty. We are those people. I know there are people listening to this podcast right now who go on daily mail and look at like celebrity photos <laughs> because I myself was one Me. of those people the other day Me. I was trying to yeah. find photos of like <laughs> hot convicts because I was trying to tell my friend that that hot convict is like married to oh, the daughter bay? of a billionaire prison bay hot aka <laughs> I had to translate that from geriatric millennial. That's some geriatric millennial speak. Hot convict. That's prison. You say that. What are you talking about, man? (laughs) Do you know what, though? I Googled the words hot convict. What do you call salt, babe? Like hydrochloride. (laughs) Sprinkler. Hydrochloric sprinkler. 
<laughs> Whatever salt is, I, I got the chemicals wrong, but you get what I'm trying to say. Hot convict, you know? I was like, what are you talking about? Sodium right, on, chloride yes. sprinkler. Yeah, yeah, go on. I remember my periodic table. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so anyway, what I'm trying to say is I was that person going on. I, I vowed to never read the Daily Mail after all of yeah. that information came out about phone hacking. And to be honest, I held out for quite a long time. Yeah. But they got the shots that I need to see sometimes. So yeah. what can I say about this? I can say that it's very sad. I can say that we are always waiting for, you know, the higher people climb, the more eager we are for them to fall, unfortunately. Right. I'm sorry. And especially if those people come from underrepresented backgrounds somehow, even better, because we want people from the dominant groups to succeed. We're used to it. That's why we're always blowing air up Elon Musk bum bum, as I said. Yeah. But when people are a bit different, we're not used to seeing them succeed. We're used to seeing them fail or worse. We don't like it. And yeah, what can I say? We're not good. We live in the world that we deserve. We live in the world that we deserve. <laughs> the thing is as well, there's such an appetite for these kind of stories because mm. like, you know, when like you in a hundred meter race, like everyone's there, like on your marks, get set. Like, yeah. and I feel like everyone is in their positions in their starting blocks with their own narratives, which is like, men ain't shit, ASAP ain't shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Don't trust anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like if it can happen to Rihanna, it can happen to anyone. There's that narrative as well because Beyonce got cheated on. So like that story got thrown into the wild and there was like a thousand tweets and there's like a thousand thought pieces ready to go and there's like a thousand influencers ready to do a video on TikTok. And it's like, man, the appetite and hunger for negativity is so high. I don't know what to do. I feel like just tapping out of social media completely if I had the strength to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think that, that we all- person, my yeah. to that person, because that's a hell that I wouldn't want to go through where for like three, four days, like you're public enemy number one. For no, You have done nothing. For literally nothing. <laughs> you, you have done nothing. Anyways, I mean, we need a reset. We need a reset. Let's talk about reset, this though. though. Because like we all went a bit- like cuckoo for cocoa pops during lockdown, man. Like, let's talk mm. about it. Cause I personally feel like, okay, here in London, you know, we have the privilege of feeling like things have gone back to normal. Don't get me wrong. COVID cases yeah. on the rise. COVID deaths. Yes, yeah, out here, man. Out here. still happening, but yeah. we don't talk about it as much as we used to, which means we don't think about it as much as we used to, which means people are like getting on the tube, partying hard out yeah. in the club, out in the streets, living mm. their best lives. It's been three years since people had a spring where it wasn't illegal to socialize. But I feel like people don't know how to act. I mean, they didn't know how to act before. We always knew that people don't know how to act. A lot of people don't know yeah. how to act. But the amount of people, the proportion of people that don't know how to act seems to have risen a lot. And I think that's because we were not interacting in, in public spaces, in shared spaces that weren't virtual for the longest time. And now that we are interacting in shared public spaces, you know, in real life, people are just like, they still think they're at home and they're mm -hmm. getting confused. And unfortunately, that time that we also spent isolated, you know, our brains hold on to the negative facts more than the positive facts because that's what taught our ancestors survival tactics. You know, that's mm -hmm. the poisonous leaf. That's the dangerous stream. Yeah. You know, we remember that more than, oh, remember when we saw that lovely double rainbow or that beautiful yeah, yeah. butterfly? And I just think like, I don't know, all of this time we've spent inside, alone with our thoughts while the world's falling apart. We've now come back into the world, like slightly more negative, bitter. I don't know. Like you said, humans have a negativity bias. I think a lot of the platforms incentivize that just based on quote tweets, based on retweets. Mm -hmm. I think the creator of the retweet has come out and said, that's like one of my biggest regrets ever being involved in that because it's like, that alone has yeah. engendered so much negativity that it's it just incentivizes it, right? And enragement is engagement. So yeah, did you just I, come up with that? That's a T-shirt no, right no, there. No, I, I enragement is engagement. I'm, I'm not that smart. That's an old one. But yeah, that's my two cents. Let's keep it more positive. On a more positive side, I want to shout out. I don't know how to say their name. Parfait. It's P A R F A I T. 
And basically, you might Parfait. think of AI. That means perfect yeah. in French. There we go. Oh, there we go. See, listen, I'm, I'm an uncultured swine. And I don't know how to speak French. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but basically, it's a team led by black women who raised $5 million to use AI to basically make custom wigs, basically. So, you know, you may think of AI as a technology that might, you know, revolutionize drones or might revolutionize God knows what esoteric industry, right? But obviously these black women have looked at their needs and said, listen, we can use AI to kind of service our community um, and more power to them. Hopefully they continue to raise more money and scale up and build a giant business of this. Mm-hmm. We'll fit you in the pocket. The link will be in the show notes if you want to read more. So shout that's, out to them. That's sick. I wish I invested in that. Yeah. Apparently Chameleon is an investor. So Chameleon is out here just investing in all kinds of ish, man, on the low. Right. Respect. All right, everybody, that brings us to the end of another episode of Techish. We hope you enjoyed listening and you know what to do. Hopefully, you have already applied to get into the Techish Fund. If you haven't, make sure you do. Make sure you subscribe, follow, mm-hmm. share this episode with a friend, all that good stuff. All that good jazz. All right, cool. We'll catch you next week. Lots of love at Techish Pod. Use hashtag Techish. Cheers. Bye.